All right, chapter five. Did anybody read ahead? Uh, I'm going to start asking for reading logs. Do this for school, right? No? Yeah. <laughs> That's okay. It's all right. We'll read together. So where does your teacher stand when your teacher teaches? Up in the front of the board so everybody could see. Jesus was standing on top of a mountain because they didn't have blackboards, right? So you have whiteboards. That's true. They have whiteboards now. You don't need to talk. Never mind. I'm old. Um, Jesus went up on a mountain so everybody could see him. That's where you went to teach. And this is what he taught them. Are you ready? Happy are people who are helpless, hopeless, because the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Happy are people who grieve, because they will be made glad. Happy are people who are humble, because they will inherit the earth. Happy are people who are hungry and thirsty for righteousness, because they will be fed until they are full. Happy are people who show mercy, because they will receive mercy. Happy are people who have pure hearts, because they will see God. Happy are people who make peace, because they will be called God's children. Happy are people whose lives are harassed, because they are righteous, because the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Happy are you when people insult you and harass you and speak all kinds of bad things about you because of me. Be full of joy and be glad, because you have a great reward in heaven. In the same way, people harassed the prophets who came before you. You are the salt of the earth. But if salt loses its saltiness, how will it become salty again? It's good for nothing except to be thrown away and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city on top of a hill can't be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a basket. Instead, they put it on top of a lampstand, and it shines on all who are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before people so they can see the good things you do and praise your Father who is in heaven. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Will you pray with me, please? God, we come to this place so full, so full of things that our hearts are heavy, our legs are tired, our minds are weary. We come to this place full of concern, and we ask that you take those from us. We wait today for you to bring us the comfort of peace, of stillness, of wholeness. Be with us this morning and open us up. Fill our hearts up with your words. Give us your strength and your peace. In God's name we pray. Amen. So you know by now that Jesus equals Moses in Matthew. We've been through this several times. And so if Jesus equals Moses, then the Beatitudes are what? The Ten Commandments, right? These are the Ten Commandments of Christian living. And if you grew up in, a ch in the church and went to Sunday school every week like my family did, this was one of the things that you were required to learn, right? You learned the Ten Commandments. You learned the Golden Rule. You learned John 3.16, and you learned the Beatitudes. It was, in fact, one of the things that my mother cross-stitched on the wall, right? We had it hanging in our house. This is the identity statement. If you're going to be a Christian in the world, these are the things that you have to do. But they're not very helpful as a list of rules, are they? I mean, the Ten Commandments is way easier. Don't covet. 
don't adulter, you know, don't lie. That's easy. We can follow those rules. But what kind of rule is blessed are the hopeless? There's a problem with familiarity. There's a problem when things become so familiar to us because we lose all sense of any meaning for them, right? Have you ever said a word so many times that it stopped having any meaning? Any meaning at all? We were joking um, in the very lovely, I'm going to call Liz out for a second, in the very lovely choir anthem, uh, um, Christmas cantata that we did, we said Bethlehem, I think, did we count? 115 times, probably. And we started joking about how Bethlehem had no, lost all any, I don't even know, like what Bethlehem meant anymore, right? Or the other day, I was trying to explain to my child how to wash windows, which you think is a self-explanatory activity, right? You spray the window, you wash the window. But it turns out it's really complicated if you have to explain it to another person who doesn't really want to do it in the first place. There's a problem with familiarity in that we lose all sense of meaning or reality or purpose with them. And so, in many ways, the Beatitudes have lost any real sense of meaning for us. On the other hand, the Beatitudes have also been corrupted. They've been taken to be used in lots of ways that are not very constructive and not at all what Jesus intended for them. My mother-in-law grew up in a very, very, very conservative tradition. Uh, she was Mennonite. And in her tradition, she was taught that to be a female in the world meant to be humble and meek and mild. And they used the Beatitudes to keep her from having any kind of identity, right? And that may have just been her, I don't want to blame like the whole denomination, there's lots of lovely Mennonites, but that, may, that was her experience, was that if you are too proud, if you're too hopeful, if you are too full of, you know, the things of the world, then you are a bad person. And many of us have subtly received this message over time, that the only people that Jesus cares about are the poor, and so you should go, you don't have any value unless you are poor. Well, the only people that God values are those who are mild and meek, and so please erase any sense of personality that you have. Or we use the Beatitudes to say, well, you know, Jesus really only meant certain people. Jesus only meant people who met a certain threshold. So, you know, they have to actually want to seek God in order to receive help, or they have to want to be helped in order to receive help. Because Jesus was only talking to people who were included in the family of God. And all of that misses out on what the, point, what the original point of this story was, which is that Jesus wasn't a Buddha. Right? Buddha stood and sat under a tree and gave out sayings to the world. Right? This is Buddha. Buddha sits under a tree and he, you would come to him and say, Hey, Buddha, um, how do I how do I know the meaning of life? And Buddha would say, the meaning of life is, and then say something wise, and they would write it down, right? This is not Jesus. Everything Jesus said was said in a context and for a purpose and to a person. And so it's important for us to look, to take a step back and say, who were these words intended for to begin with? What did they mean before they were cross-stitched on my parents' wall? 
Because Jesus wasn't just declaring these things to the world as a wise statement, hoping you'd write them down and be able to repeat them to your Sunday school teacher. Jesus was in the wilderness. He was tempted by the devil, as we talked about last week. He leaves the wilderness, and as he leaves, he does what Jesus does, which is talk to people. He goes to the synagogues and preaches. He goes to the the gutters of town and heals people. And as he does, people begin to follow him, literally follow him down the road. And so Jesus has like ducklings, right, following down the road behind him. (laughs) And he gets, he finally turns around and he sees all of these people, all of these people who have heard the good news of God, who have been healed by God, who have been touched by God, who are no longer the poor, the outcasts, the lame, the blind, all of the people that society says have no value and purpose. And Jesus turns around and is surrounded by a group of these people. And so he goes up on the mountaintop and he turns and he looks to them and says, who, what are the words that you need to hear? What are the words that you need to hear, outcast? What are the words that you need to hear, poor? Who are the per- what's the words you need to hear, blind person who is now healed? None of these words are for the people in the empire. There are no Pharisees in this story. There are no Sadducees in this story. There is no Roman centurion in this story. Jesus is talking to the grieving, to the poor, and to the outcast. Blessed are you, You, this person sitting in front of me, this is not the end of your story. Blessed are you. I think so often with the Beatitudes, what we tend to do is to take them and take the words which appeal to us, which make us feel comfortable, and forget about the rest of them. It's a whole list. It's a whole list of people that God is blessing, that God wants us to bless because the disciples were there, by the way. Jesus sends a word to the people who need to hear it of comfort. This is not the end of your story. And at the same time, turns to his disciples and says, if you want to follow me, you need to do these things too. You need to offer help to them You need to comfort the grieving. You need to restore justice to the brokenhearted. You need to set the prisoners free. You need to do the Beatitudes. It's not enough to be comforted when we are grieving. It is not enough that we feel hope when we are hopeless. It's not enough if we are disciples of God to feel those things. Instead, Jesus says to his disciples, you must do those things. So often, we hear the words of God which are meant to comfort the oppressed and forget that we are not the oppressed. I was listening to a podcast the other day. Um, it's, it's a magazine. It's called Relevant. It's for, um, it's, it's for Christian culture. It's supposed to like tell you about what's going on in the world of Christian culture, right? Um, and they brought up a story about people in Uganda, right, who are Christians who went shopping. They went shopping, and all of them, the entire group, were kidnapped and taken to a camp and were never seen again because they were Christians, right? Most of us, almost all of us, I would guess, 
if we ran out of food, have somewhere we could turn to have food. And yet there are people in our world who don't have access to clean drinking water. There are people in our country who don't have access to clean drinking water. And so we forget that the words meant to comfort the afflicted are meant to afflict those of us who are comfortable. Now, over time, those words have been, um, have been associated with a lot of people. Um, they've associated it particularly with, uh, there was a newspaperman who, who took these words as his own and said that we are, as newspapers, meant to comfort the afflicted and afflict the comforted, which was totally stolen from James chapter 1. Matthew's Jesus constantly is offering both messages. If you are the afflicted, if you are one of these people, then you should hear these words as words of comfort, absolutely. But if you are one of the, the comfortable, then these words should afflict your heart. They are meant to challenge you. They are meant to send you out into the world to offer justice and peace. We throw around this word oppression an awful lot. We throw around this word, the idea that we as Christians are being persecuted in some way in this country, and we are not. I want to share two stories with you real quick, and I would like to encourage you to hear them in a way that um, you remove whatever political or partisan bias you may have before you hear these stories because these are stories that happened to friends of mine that I witnessed with my eyes, and I want to share them with you, and they are not intended, as I say again, as a political or partisan statement in any way. I just want you to hear these stories and wonder who is being comforted in this story, or who needs comfort in this story. The first one is my friend James. James grew up in inner city Baltimore. He is um, a very lovely, happy-go-lucky, Six foot two black man who is, was um, one of my husband's groomsmen in her wedding. Like, love. James is one of my favorite people in the world, right? We went on a road trip in college, which is what you do. We went on a road trip um, and to one of my friend's parents' house because they were out of town for the weekend. And apparently, we couldn't sit in our dorm room and talk to each other. We had to drive to Ohio to go and talk to each other, right? Um, and James drove his car because. He had a car and the rest of us didn't. And it was just James and my husband and I in the car. And we were driving to Ohio and we ran out of gas, right? And it is 11.30 at night. And we're in the middle of Ohio. And, don't, and none of us know where we are. And we pull up to a gas station. James turns and looks at my husband and says, will you fill up my gas tank for me? And both of us looked at each other and went, it's your car. <laughs> and James was like, no, will you fill up my gas tank for me? And neither one of us at the time understood that James was afraid to get out of the car. Right? James was afraid to get out of the car because it was 1130 at night in a place that he didn't know. And so eventually he got out of the car and the whole time he was outside filling up gas, his hands were shaking. Right? And it took me 20 years to understand why he was afraid. Second story is my friend Andrea. We were at a conference with our youth group um, at Triennium, which is, um, it's every three years our denomination has it. There are 4,000 Presbyterian youth that gather in Indiana. 
It's like Montreat on steroids, right? It's amazing. It's fantastic. Um, this was in the year of the Me Too movement. And so one of the speakers was talking about her experience with the Me Too thing, right? And she said, uh, she was talking about her experience. And as we were leaving, one of the youth said to me, uh, Maris, who was lovely, she's 14, she was 14 at the time. Um, she's now older than I would like to admit. <laughs> but she looked at me and she said, I don't get all this Me Too stuff. Like, nothing's ever happened to me, 14. Um, and Andrea, my lovely friend, turned and looked at her and opened her jacket. And every one of us knows what's under there, right? Andrea has carried a concealed carry gun for the, her in t for, 20, for 15 years. She looked at Maris and she said, the reason I carry this is because I was attacked. And I'm going to carry this for the rest of my life. And then I had to look at Maris and say, you know that you should not walk by yourself at night. Which is not something that I've ever said to one of the male members of my youth group. Now, I debated a long time to tell you these stories, but they have been on my heart this week as I have read the Beatitudes. And I ask you to question yourself and to use them as a mirror into your life and to say, am I too comfortable? Am I living out the Beatitudes? Am I comforting the afflicted? Or am I afflicting the comfortable? Because Jesus has words for us. And we may be afraid. Every time that I go to a soup kitchen where I don't know anybody and I know who's going to be there, I'm a little bit afraid. It's okay to be afraid, but it's not okay to hide behind our fear. And it's not okay to hide in our comfort. Because Jesus stood on the mountaintop and looked at us and said, do the Beatitudes. Bless the hopeless. So where are you in the story? Amen.